Welcome back to another Strong Towers podcast. This is John Ackerman, and with me as always is no one. Absolutely no one. I'm sitting here all by myself. Because uh, if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, uh, Tom, Mike, and I uh, have taken turns selecting an episode that we've found particularly influential over the last couple of years as we're finishing off this series on influential people. And so if you missed the last couple of weeks, it's well worth it to go back as we've pulled from the archives a conversation with our friend Morgan Snyder and then a second conversation with our good friend Nathan Bramblett. And so it's my turn. And as I was looking back through the people that we've had the privilege to sit down and talk with, uh, the one that quickly came to mind, and I was almost surprised by it, was our conversation with Alan Arnold. And getting to catch up with him and hear about the book that he wrote called Chaos Can't, uh, and this whole premise of the essential nature of creativity in the world, and how we often look at creativity and the creative arts and things like that as sort of the the plus one, the, the thing you do if you got time for it, but it's not the meat and potatoes of life or of earning a living or anything like that. And the more that I sat back and reflected on that conversation that we had with Alan and the things that he had shared from you know, his life experiences working in the creative community and his research was the undeniable truth that creativity and offering creativity into the world is honestly one of the most transformative things that we can do for the world around us and also for ourselves. And full disclosure... Tom and I had talked about how we both have a passion for writing and, and want to write and want to write books. And I have done absolutely zero writing since our conversation with Alan Arnold, which was about par for the course in the year prior to the conversation with Alan Arnold. But I remember that conversation with Alan being very, very stirring and encouraging and just sort of reorienting that this this is true. This is true. This is right. This is good creativity is far more important than I'm usually willing to give it credit for and that I'm usually willing to make time for. And so as I listen to this episode again, and as you listen to this again, um, I'm hoping that we can all just accept Alan's invitation to embrace our creative natures, whatever that looks like, wherever it looks like, at home, at work, with something that is easily defined as creative work or something that maybe looks a little bit atypical but is still offering something new in a place where something new is very much needed. Um, so Alan, if you're listening, thank you again for the opportunity to talk with you. And for all the rest of you, enjoy the show. You are listening to the Strong Towers Podcast, a podcast where all topics are on the table. From brotherhood and faith, culture and wisdom. So pull up a chair and join us as we talk about the things that build us up and make us strong. Welcome back to another Strong Towers podcast. I am your host, Tom Edwards, here as always with Mike and John. And we are very excited this week uh, to bring you a conversation with Alan Arnold. He has a new book out called Chaos Can't, and so we're going to dive into that with him uh, today and, and talk about the book and, and about chaos and how it uh, relates to our creativity and, and really our identity and our purpose and, and what God has for us. So, Alan, thank you for joining us. Um, why don't you just give everybody a, a 
little lowdown on, on who you are and, um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me in the conversation today. Um, I am a person who loves story, always have loved story, grew up with Superman comics, uh, you know, TV shows, uh, movies. I've always been drawn to that. And then in my life, when I went to a career, I started in advertising and because I loved how you could tell a story in 30 seconds, kind of compelling enough way that even though it's an interruption, you cause somebody to buy something. And so I've always been fascinated with forms of, of just how do you tell people a better story? And then I realized I could actually try living one myself, which was a new thought uh, in my 30s. And so at that point, um, I dove into a publishing organization where I was the publisher of the fiction division. I started a fiction division, one of the largest publishers in the country, Thomas Nelson, and they published about 400 books a year, but but they didn't have a fiction division. So I got to start that and for a decade was the publisher of over 500 novels, uh, which was fen a phenomenal, like awesome time. And uh, then about eight years ago, shifted from being a publisher to entering into a ministry that's all about reawakening the hearts of men and women. And that, of course, no surprise, is through understanding the story that God is telling in our lives. Yeah. So you can tell the common thread that's woven through my life and that God speaks to me continually through his story. And so that's a little about what I do. I am married uh, to a bride of 23 years, have three kids. Um, they love basketball. They love story. They love keeping me busy and uh, <laughs> in all kind of ways. And so uh, it's a, it's a really like, I love the life God's given me. And my goal kind of is to help people enter into their own story in some new ways by, by primarily their creativity. What is it that you love to do? Where is your passion? And now how do you enter into that story with God? Yeah. So chaos can't, is the name of the book, uh, and and here we are sitting at the tail end of 2020, and uh, I don't think anybody would argue that there's been a whole lot of chaos going on this year. Um, but I have a feeling this didn't just start in 2020, and you're like, all oh, this stuff is going down. Let me write a book about it, right? And so, where is is right. the book coming from? Yeah, the book uh, started about for me about three years ago, not as a book but it's a topic I was teaching on. I coach a lot of creatives at different events, gatherings, conferences. And about three years ago, I started into this topic of chaos and creativity. How do we use chaos as our canvas for creativity? Um, how can chaos fuel our creativity? And so for the last three years, I've been doing that. And then, you know, when I started, most people, I rarely heard the word chaos. It was, it was this random word that kind of was eclectic and rarely used. And then we get into 2020 and it's in every sentence. Yeah. Everybody's talking about it and everybody wants relief from chaos and the nightly news, every headline has chaos in it. And so that's when I sense God nudging me, this is your next book. Because for people that aren't in the publishing industry, this may sound new or different, but when I was in it for, I was in it for 20 plus years, a fiction publisher for 10, and every author has a schedule. So you write a book and then you write a book a year later, and then you write your next book a year later. 
And the problem is, even if you don't have anything to say, you're on a formula of <laughs> right. the next book. And I had not written a book for four years because I really wanted to buck that trend. I wanted to, to write a book when I had something to say, not because it was a certain amount of time on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't planning to write another book in 2020 until God said this whole experience of chaos, people are going under and they don't understand it. And I didn't understand fully why it was impacting my life and creativity like it was. So that's where the flip switched and God said, go. And this book came together in about 10 weeks from a writing perspective, which is really fast. Yeah. But it was three years in the making from a research standpoint. Wow. No, that's awesome. You know, I was talking to Tom about this when we were first coming up and talking about how we can have this conversation, what we can talk about. And when he brought up chaos, I was like, man, I live chaos every day. I got three boys, <laughs> a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, and in my life is, is all over the place. But how do you define chaos? And, and when you come into sharing your message about that, you know, how, do, how does it define in, in your writing? Yeah, great question. Well, so chaos, when I first started the journey and, and it was like, I found my own heart tanking. I didn't understand why I was becoming more chaotic when chaos was around me, but I was, and my wife was pointing that out to me. My kids were, and it, I wanted to maneuver it differently. I wanted to navigate it as a man differently. And so I started researching it. And the dictionary definition of chaos is a state of utter confusion or disorder. And I was like, you know, that's, that's true, but it's also not nearly what I'm feeling. I'm feeling a much higher grade and I think most people are in 2020, like that definition is like saying an earthquake is a little bit disruptive. And <laughs> right. like, well, when you're in it, it's a lot more than that. And so I created a definition that I go with in the book. And when I talk to people and it's this chaos is a destructive fear-based force that prevents us from fully living the ways it comes against us, whether large or small are often intensely personal strikes meant to leave us empty. So with that definition, it does apply to life as a dad with three young boys. You know, it applies to what's going on in the social unrest in our country. It applies to the impact and ripple effect of a virus on a large scale. It, it is everything about from our day when we begin to we go to bed at night, what are the things coming at us that make us want to be more chaotic or feel more chaotic or fearful or anxious? And the, the key thing is those things feel really personal. So the things, you know, Tom, John, Mike, that are taking you guys out each day may not take me out or each other. It, it, the four of us are all different and every listener is different. So the big question I had when I started researching this is, why are the strikes so personal? Mm -hmm. Why, yeah. if chaos is just this random generic state of confusion, then why does it feel like it's cutting me off at the knees or shutting my heart down in unique ways based on my story, based on your story? And so that's where it got really fascinating. What's really going on here? Because we all know there's chaos. Nobody has to convince us the world is chaotic. But the question is, why is the chaos customized against each of us in ways that are meant to shut us down. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like too, Alan, you're saying that the chaos has customized targets, not only, you know, within us, but I mean, you're talking about chaos and creativity. And I right. think if, if we look back and, you know, Mike's married to an educator, Tom and I were both educators and 
So when we think back to our school experiences, it always felt like creativity was sort of a, a plus one. It was an add-on. It, it was, if you have time for it, right? It's not one of the core subjects. It's it's art class. It's music. It's theater. It's the things we usually cut when there's, you know, budgetary restraints. Right. And, and so what, what's, what is it about creativity that seems like it's such a, a target for chaos? It's, it is one of the primary targets, I believe, that chaos moves against. So it's it's something that if we're not careful, what we tend to do, because what you just said, John, is we tend to say, well, I have this passion. I'm an artist or I love to you know compose music or I'm a teacher or, or I, the things that bring me joy in my creativity. When chaos comes, I'm going to just set that aside because let's be real. I've got to focus on the bigger picture issues. And so we set aside our gifting and our creativity and passion. And that's exactly what chaos wants us to do because I believe, and I'll get into this, but I believe our creativity is actually an antidote against the chaos. Mm. And so if the chaos can strip us of that, it's like a a basketball player sitting on the bench saying, I'm going to get into the game as soon as things calm down in the game. And as soon as we start winning and and we have a margin of, of a comfortable lead, I'll get in and the coach is saying, actually, you're a change agent. You're meant to change the status of the game and you're not going to do it waiting it out. You actually have to be in the game. And when it comes to chaos and creativity, that's a really, I think, good analogy because we tend, I I work with a lot of writers, screenplay writers, novelists, nonfiction writers. And so many times they'll say, oh, I've got this great idea for a story. I'm going to get to it when things calm down in my life. Yeah, and it's like, are you, no? Actually, that story may be the antidote to, or the cure to some of the chaos in our world right now for people. And if you're taken out, it can't happen. So they are in conflict. And one of the ways, like this, to me is fascinating. And when I started looking at scripture, and I was curious, how does God respond to chaos? Because if I can understand that, I know my ways aren't good. I mean, when chaos hits me and most people, we either get spun up, we get shut down, or we decide to wait it out. Yeah. And in all three of those cases, it's somewhat of a reactionary or passive mode. Chaos catches us by surprise. And so we either become more chaotic ourselves, spun up, or we shut down or try to hunker down, wait it out. None of those things are good antidotes to chaos. None of those things make chaos go away. And so I thought, okay, if my ways aren't working, and most people I know, then what's God do with chaos? And here's the cool thing. The answer wasn't in some obscure verse in, you know, Malachi or in, you know, some book that you go, wait, how do you spell the book of that Bible? That Bible? <laughs> yeah, you know? sure. Like it was Genesis 1-1, the very beginning. So in the beginning, 1-1, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. So we see God as creator in the very first sentence of scripture. He could have labeled himself any number of ways. I'm the judge. I'm the king. I'm, I'm the enforcer of rules, you know. But he says, I'm a creator. That's the very first way he identifies himself. And then Genesis 1-3 we see him begin the act of creating, let there be light in the days of creation. And, and so we see him as creator creating, but Genesis one, two is this mysterious verse that a lot of people skip over or skim. 
And it talks about God's spirit is hovering over this murky darkness, this inky ocean of blackness of, of just, you know, unknown, an empty void. And so we see that. And why is that important? Well, if Genesis 1-1 identifies God as creator, Genesis 1-2 is the first lesson he teaches us, which is how do you go into chaos, this chaotic, swirling, empty void, and from it bring beauty, life, and order? Mm. So the very first lesson is God's sons and daughters we're taught in all of scripture. And you got to believe if you're going to teach somebody a lesson, the first one matters. It's, yeah. it's a priority. It's, it's essential. And so the very first lesson we're taught in all of the Bible is how to bring peace, beauty, life, order out of disorder and chaos. And so the clash between creativity and chaos isn't something I'm inventing with this book or isn't kind of a nice uh, way to see things or an interesting way. It's the very first thing scripture tells us. God is creator and the antidote to chaos is through creativity. Mm -hmm. And God, when he goes into the chaos in Genesis 1-2, he doesn't get spun up. He doesn't wait it out. He doesn't shut down. He doesn't get reactive. He's proactive. He goes into chaos. His spirit hovers or broods in the middle of chaos, and his best creativity comes from it. Oceans, mountains, stallions, wildflowers, ultimately man and woman. He is an artist who breathes life and beauty and replaces the chaos with that. And I believe that's not just a fact or that's not just this thing we read and go, huh, that's interesting. It's a lesson like a master and a student or like a sage mm -hmm. and an apprentice where God is saying, now, as I did here, you do in your world. Mm -hmm. Now you enter your world with the gifting and the passions I've given you and you bring beauty, life, and order from the chaos and the disorder. So it's it's a fascinating thing, and especially for people who know they're creative. Like, I believe everyone is creative. But when you know you're creative and you have a passion and a desire, and you realize this is not a hobby, or like you said in school, it's not the add-on. Mm -hmm. It's actually such a part of our DNA that it is infused in us so we can infuse transformation in the world. That's when things get exciting and you see chaos differently because you understand what it's moving against. Chaos has always moved against God as creator, mm -hmm. against creation, and against us in our creativity. So when we start to see that, we don't shut down. We actually go, what's valuable is being attacked. And what that is that's being attacked is actually how I can change the chaos in my realm, in my family, in my job, in my calling. Yeah. So. It's cool. It's it's cool to yeah. see how God makes it all come together. And when we see that, when we start to see our invitation, mm -hmm. which is don't shut down your creativity. Yes, it's being opposed. It's being opposed because not because it's insignificant. It's so significant. It's trying to be annihilated. It's trying yeah. to be taken out. And now we enter into it with a new understanding of just how critical it is. And can you say more about that invitation, Alan? You know, you just said you believe that everyone is creative. And I know that listening to this conversation, there's going to be plenty of people that say, but but I'm not creative or yeah. I'm not in an occupation or I'm supposed to be creative. I'm not an author. I'm not an artist. And, you know, I sit at a desk or I sit in front of a computer or I, you know, I do the same thing day after day. So 
this is an interesting concept, you know, Mr. Arnold, but how does it apply to me? It totally applies to you. My answer would be because one, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and breathed life into us, then how could you think you're not created? Because you have the creator's DNA in you. You have the creator's DNA breathed into you. So we are all sons and daughters of God. We all have his creativity in us. Now, you may say, well, I don't see that. I don't see any effect of that in my life, or I I have never understood what I was really good at. Okay, well, let's start there then. But accept that you are creative and something's been stolen. Mm -hmm. Something's been stolen or lost. And why is it stolen? Well, because again, it's of great value. If If you can cause, just go back to the basketball analogy. If you can cause a player to think he has no role in the game, he's never going to change the game. He's never even going to suit up for the game. Yeah. And so the very first way to cut you off at the knees in your creativity is to make you believe the lie. You don't have any creativity. That's easy. Like if you believe that you're out. And so if you will accept that you have creativity in you, even if it's dormant or undiscovered, then you can start the path with God. Of Now, how do I realize my creativity? How do I find what I'm good at? What do I love to do? And that starts a whole invitation. The book, I have like an 11 level, uh, I call it like the master's will as a riff on the Mask of Zorro movie to help people find out what they're good at creatively, you know, in a creative way and then how to pursue it. But here's the thing too. God doesn't underestimate your creativity. He gave it to you. The enemy doesn't underestimate it. He's He's throwing chaos as his primary weapon at you and your creativity. The only people that tend to underestimate our creativity is us. And if you say, well, I'm not in a creative occupation, here's a, here's a great way to look at that and, and kind of prove that. Is that true or not true? You know, somebody thinks they have the most dull job in the world. My question would be, has that job changed any in the last 20 years? Has that field changed? If you're in shipping, has shipping changed in the last 20 years? Phenomenally. Has architect changed? phenomenally has um, grocery stores changed how they do things (laughs) has the U S post office changed has like pick any occupation where you think this is kind of dull and go, well, is it static? And if it's not static, what that means is somebody in that field has imagined what could be, they've seen the unseen Mm -hmm. and then they breathe creativity into it to change or transform that particular industry. And whether it's travel or whether it's learning or education or, or, you know, accounting or whatever it is, it's all different now than it was 10, 15, 20 years, five years ago. And, and in technology, it's different than it was yesterday, you know? And so everything is changing. And if everything's changing, it's being recreated. And if it's being recreated, then there's creativity involved. And so the last thing I would say on that is you are create just to summarize, you are creative. You may not know it. There's a way to find out what it is. Whatever industry you're in or business, if you're a stay-at-home dad or mom, can you be creative in that role? You bet. You can change the atmosphere radically in your home mm-hmm. and in the hearts of your kids through your creativity. And, and the thing is, if you can't find your creativity in your day job that you get paid for, and I believe you can, 
to some level. But if you don't think you can, or you've tried and your boss won't let you, or you just are hitting a brick wall, then your creativity can come into play in your spare time, in your non-working hour time at your job. I wrote the book, Chaos Can't, in my own time. I, I didn't, that wasn't part of my day job. And I have a really creative day job, I believe, but I didn't, I'm not paid to write a book in my day job. And so I did that late night, early morning, weekends. And so you can find an outlet for your creativity outside of maybe your eight to five job, or if you're mainly a parent to your kids and a homeschool teacher, whatever, that may be creative on some level, but you may want to paint or you may want to be a chef or you may want to learn how to play an instrument. All of those things you may have to do in your own time, but don't believe the lie that you're not creative. You are. And if you don't, know exactly how, well, then say, I need to discover it, but that's different than I'm not. Mm -hmm. So then next step down the journey, um, and I I think I probably fall into this category um, pretty strongly, is let's say we we know we are creative. We have a a dream, a vision, a passion for something, um, but we're we're in that group of people that uh, chaos seems to, to keep taking out, right? You had said earlier about uh, turning the creativity into the weapon against chaos. So could you, could you dig into yes. that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Well, so if you, if you see your creativity as God given, then the pressure's off of you to somehow strive and, and keep trying to make something work. That's not there. If it's God given, then you're, you're the invitation is to step into it mm-hmm. with the creator. And so you're in a co-creative act, co-creative because it's not all up to you. And so Jeremiah 33, three is one of my favorite verses. And in it, we read, if we'll call out to God, he'll show us things beyond our imagination, beyond our wildest dreams, beyond what is already happening. In other words, the not yet and the unseen realms God gives us access to if we'll pursue it with him, if we'll call out to him. And so in whatever you love to do, I believe if you invite God into it, part of the conversation, it's a relational dance. And part of the conversation is, God, how is the thing you just infused in me that I've always loved as a boy or as a girl growing up? How is that something that will change the world for the better? And it may end up being in the least likely way you would think. But if he's given you that passion, it's for a reason. And so then the question is, how do I use that? Or how, is it something that I donate my time for? Is it something that I start a company with? Is it something I mentor others in? Is it something that I record the podcast you guys are doing? It's changing the atmosphere for good. It's rippling out. You guys, all three decided at some point, we're going to do this together because one, we love doing it. And I'm guessing whether it made a lot of money or no money, or whether it was the main thing you did or something you fought for and found an hour here and there to do, you wanted to do it. There was a passion and a desire. And then when it goes out and ripples out, your conversations with people, it hopefully is changing the way people see their world or their story or their creativity. And so I feel like it's that in any number of ways. If you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a musician, you know, if you're, um, a landscaper, you're constantly around people or engaging on some level with people 
who you are inviting to see beauty in life and order in a way they haven't before. And by the way, order, when I say order, I don't mean order like control. I mean order in trueness. When God created, he created in trueness. So an ocean is exactly what it should be because God created oceans as they, when he thought of an ocean, this is what it was. And when he thought of a stallion, this is what it was. And when we step into our creativity with God, what we're doing is creating something in trueness that the world needs to have more light and more order or trueness to it. And so that's the cool thing about whatever you love doing, approach it with God and let it be what was missing in this world because there's no you until now and there's no new thing that you're creating until you create it. And when you do that with God, you're bringing something new into the atmosphere that's never been there before, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, whether it's a changed relationship or whether it may not be a physical canvas with paint on it. It may be a child's heart. It may be a person who realizes, wow, I can actually be more than I thought I was, or this is my truer identity. So whatever it is you're doing, you're bringing something new into existence in a person or as an object that then ripples through time. So that's, I would start there. I mean, you know, I would start there with what do I love to do now? God, how am I supposed to change the world? How will the world be better because of me doing it? Yeah. Well, that's such a powerful uh, definition, I guess, of what it looks like for us to be creative. And, And it's not surprising then that the enemy is trying to take that out, right? You know, we get to partner with God to create something. Um, but, you know, the phrase you used of, of bringing something new into existence, uh, it, it's something that the, the enemy can't do, right? Ha, has uh, no ability to do um, and so is going to oppose the very heart of that in us. Well, and if you want to go back into motive, which I think is always a good, you know, when you're trying to understand something, what is the person's motive? for pursuing it or for opposing it, right? And when you look at the enemy, it gets really trippy and really wild because some people think, well, chaos came about in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ushered in sin to our world, death, and I think they lump in chaos. But the problem is there was already a serpent in the garden that was a being of chaos that was trying to introduce chaos. So chaos existed before the fall. Mm -hmm. And we talked earlier about Genesis 1-2, which is pre that time. And Genesis 1-2, the spirit was hovering over this empty void that Hebrew scholars say is chaos. So chaos existed before the days of creation. And if you keep following that trail down the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole, you know, in Revelation, it talks about there was a war in heaven at some point. Mm -hmm. And the war in heaven was because Lucifer, all angelic beings are created. So created beings at the instigation of Lucifer, he leads a rebellion where one out of three of the created angelic beings try to overtake the creator. Right Now, these are angelic beings who knew they were created by God. They saw God, their creator, face to face. And you think, what are you smoking? Because <laughs> how do you think you're going to take out? It's like it's like a character in a novel saying, I'm going to take out the author. Right. Yeah. And the author is like, uh, no, you're not. And I can write you out of the story anytime I want to. Yeah. So like you are my creation. I'm not your creation. And so a third of the angels rebel and there's a war in heaven. There's chaos in heaven. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the enemy loses, and the third of the angels are kicked out of heaven. But there was chaos then, so you keep going down the rabbit trail. And we get to these verses, um, and there's more in the book on this, but you get to the verses like in Isaiah 14, where it's talking about Lucifer, and God says, you said in your heart, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And so we start kind of following this thread. And in Ezekiel 28, talking about Lucifer, it says, blameless in your ways from the day you were created. In other words, he's a created being until wickedness was found in you. And I believe at some point, this blameless angelic being, created being, decided he wanted to change the story. He wanted to be the head, the protagonist, the, the one the story revolved around. And so that led in offense and anger and rage. And I believe that's when chaos was born. And, you know, none of us were there at that time. So we have to just look at what scripture says and, and see if it makes sense. But to me, that is the birth of chaos. I believe that's when it happened because the result was immediate chaos. He talks a third of the angels into rebelling against the creator. So you see this battle of chaos and the creator from the early, early before time began. Now, the question is, why do we feel like so much of chaos today is out to kill, steal, and destroy us? Well, those are the kind of the fingerprints of the enemy. John 10, 10, the enemy's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And if chaos is what he gave birth to, and if chaos is what he has used against God and creation and us since then, then it should be no surprise that chaos is the main weapon the enemy uses against creation and creativity because he used it against the creator. And, you know, you think about, well, why is my God-given creativity under such assault? Well, that storyline carries through the reason why. And if the enemy was trying to use it, you know, he was trying to take the creator out, God out, he's certainly not going to hesitate trying to take us out. Right. Yeah. You know, in the way of creativity. And now all that starts to fit together in a really, to me, compelling picture. Genesis 1-1, no wonder God starts off by saying, I'm a creator. Genesis 1-2, here's how to move against chaos. And throughout scripture, we see God's people being attacked in ways that attack their identity, their gifting, their creativity that God's given them. Mm -hmm. We see all creation groaning, waiting for release. Why is that? Well, Satan, once he was kicked out of heaven and, and you know, the third of the angels, I believe they have no creativity. I believe, how can you be creative if you're untethered from the creator? Mm. And so they no longer have creativity. So their tools now are destruction and death and stealing and moving, always reactionary, always moving against God and his creation. And so our choices, are we going to react when chaos hits us or are we going to be proactive? Because the enemy is always reactive. He always reacts in a way to destroy what God is doing or to take creation out. And we have a choice. We can either every morning wake up and be blindsided and somehow shock the chaos is in this world. Right. Or we can wake up with a plan and be proactive and know that our creativity is our main weapon with God against the chaos. And so in our realm, each of us and everybody listening has a way to bring more light into the darkness. Mm -hmm by our gifting and our presence. Yeah. Well, 
and I really appreciate the way that you've sort of laid out the the history of chaos and then the essentialness of creativity as as a primary weapon against that. And especially how you've talked about creativity being able to change the atmosphere around us, um, whether it's in our home or in our work environment or in our neighborhood or worldwide. And I know that sometimes for some people, the notion of being creative or of creating something carries with it sort of this tension or of you know this responsibility of this has to be great or it's a failure or this has to go yeah. global or this has to go viral or this... And I remember, and I don't know, this just came to me. I remember a podcast you did, Alan, on the Ransomed Heart channel, um, where you were talking about writing a book. And as you were processing it, you were having this dialogue with God, and you felt like he was posing the question to you of, what happens if this is just between you and me, and you shove this in a drawer, and it never goes further? Right. And and I don't remember what you said after that, but I remember that <laughs> illustration was incredibly disruptive disruptive for me at a time when I was trying to begin to think creatively. And I was yes. wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, I mean, we've talked about what creativity does to change the atmosphere around us, but can you talk more about what creativity does to change us internally when we start to embrace it, whether or not it goes global or viral or entrepreneurial or whatever? Totally. Well, that question I think has either uh, infuriated or endeared me to thousands <laughs> of writers when they hear it, because it, it's a very disruptive question, yeah. but not just to writers, because what it's getting to is motive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we co-create with God, what is our motive? If our motive is success or, uh, you know, and, and we've cloaked that a lot of times in kind of a um, veneer of like, well, it's really good because yeah. of course, if I'm successful, more people hear this. And if more people hear this, then yeah. God wins. And so yeah. I, I, I want to be a millionaire or I want to sell a million copies of my thing, but not for me, but just to get the message out. So part of what I ask people is, well, what if you start with the assumption on the table that God's going to reach everybody he needs to reach without you? So that's good. Like, then God, they like you even more, right? Right, right exactly. I didn't win the popularity contest. It's like if God, if God, if you take that out of the equation and realize, yep, God can probably accomplish his plans with or without me. Yeah. But he invites us into it. Yeah. So now, what is success? What is success in your gifting? Well, success is, am I doing it with God? If you're pursuing what you, I mean, again, go back to the beginning. God knit into each of us specific desires and passions. Mm -hmm. If you love to read, it's not because your fourth grade librarian, Miss Smith, taught you a love of books. She may have played a role. It's because God gave you a love of story and a love of reading. Mm -hmm. And if you love sports or whatever it is you love, it's not because of your mom or dad first or a teacher or a coach. It's because God knit that into you. And then he brought people around to awaken it. And, yeah. But what is your motive? And so if you take success and say, okay, no longer am I going to chase this carrot, because the enemy can always change what the carrot is. Mm -hmm. And I used to work with an author who was an incredibly talented individual, but every time he would hit one mile marker, it was the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that author was never at peace, never had joy mm -hmm. because if they hit one goal, the next goal was already on the table before they even enjoyed what had happened. And so the enemy had them in a chaotic state, even in the midst of doing some really beautiful things. 
And so if you change your goal of success to this, am I creating with God? Did I write that song with God? Did I, did I, um, you know, spend time with my toddler today and do it in a way with God where I followed his lead and his love into my, you know, experience with my child? Did I write that story with God? Did I do this podcast, not in my own strength, but with God? Yeah. If we start there, here's the cool thing, guys. We have success in the moment of creation. Mm-hmm. So success is no longer, well, how many people listen to the podcast? Mm-hmm. Or how many people read the book? Or how many people saw this viral video that I did? And if it's not very many, I didn't. Ha- then I'm not successful. Right. And instead of identifying yourself on the outcome, you identify your success on the process and imagine how much better whatever you're creating is if you're experiencing success as you create. It's not something later you figure out if it happened or not. You have that ingredient with you as you create. And then that's like putting the manuscript in the drawer. If you, if you, in that, you know, question I ask people, what I was saying is if you wrote a hundred thousand word manuscript and you thought it was the best story, you thought it was world and beat war and peace. You thought it was CS Lewis, you know, mere Christianity. You thought it was the, the most incredible thing you've ever done. And then God said, now put it in a drawer. That was just for you and me. Would you be okay? Well, if your main goal was success in the creative process, of course you would be because you got to spend a hundred thousand with, you know, words with God on the playground of the imagination. Yeah. And you and the creator of the universe spent a hundred thousand words together. And that's not enough. Like that's <laughs> yes. mind blowingly awesome. Yeah. But if you think, no, 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 it's only matters if other people read it and then tell me it changed their life. Right. Well, that's where motive comes into play. And if you can shift that motive, I call it the shift to with, if you can shift into that motive of with, and you go, whether anybody reads it, whether anybody sees it, hears it, knows what I'm doing with my children, you know, in terms of pouring into their hearts, success has happened. Then there's a freedom and then there's a lightness about you. And then you can actually, I believe, create even more mind blowing things because you're not carrying this backpack of a hundred pound rocks that are looking for validation from other people and other things. Mike, <laughs> we good? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we have the time. Alan, we really appreciate uh, sitting down with you today. If um, if people are, are just kind of discovering this message and discovering you for the first time, where can they go to to um, get more of you? I mean, the book is out now, and so obviously you can go grab that Amazon, whatever. Um, but where else can they find you? Yeah, um, the best place, I have a website called withallen.com, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com. And it's got um, all kinds of videos on creativity. How do you co-create with God? How do you pursue your dreams actively with God? Uh, And in addition to that, there's some blog posts and there's some podcasts and all of it's free. And, And the goal is, you know, to get people into this message. What does it look like? How do I do it? What if I don't think I'm creative? Um, How do I experience true success? Some of what we talked about today, it goes deeper into. And yeah, the two books, The Story of With is an allegory of approaching our creativity with God. 
And chaos can't is, okay, but even when you're doing that and you feel taken out by chaos, how do you turn that table? How do you, instead of saying, I'll get to it when chaos subsides, which it, it will not subside, uh, yeah. we live in a world of chaos. People who are going, I can't wait for 2021 because I'm so tired of the chaos of 2020. The world isn't going to change when the calendar changes. The yeah. way for change is for you to help change it. Yeah. And the way for you to change it is through your creativity. Yeah. So those books are helpful ways to see life in a new way and then change the atmosphere for good. Yeah. Well, thanks brother. We, we appreciate it. Um, I just, the, the redefinition of creativity uh, and the use of that to, to confront the chaos and, and ultimately to, to decrease the chaos around that um, is just such a, a disruptive, um, but, but definitely needed message and, and so we appreciate you for putting it out there and uh thanks. for spending some time with us today yeah this was really fun thanks for the time yeah thanks alan thanks alan we appreciate it before you go we just wanted to take a quick minute to thank you for being a part of the conversation and taking on this journey with us if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and throw us a like or write a review. All of that helps other people find our show. If you're looking for more, head over to our website, strong-towers.com, and sign up to receive notifications whenever we release new content. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at strong underscore towers. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, We Are Strong Towers, to keep the conversation going throughout the week. If you want to support the show, Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash strongtowers for your chance to score some Strong Tower swag and get access to exclusive content. We appreciate y'all, and we'll see you back here real soon.